Welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and it is the Comic Book of the Month Club. I I think there's going to be a bit of comedy in that. I still don't know what the title of this one is going to be. Uh, I don't think I'm ever going to know, and that'll be on purpose to see if I constantly remember. But uh, this is our monthly discussion on a comic book series or arc. And uh, this month for June, we are talking about Civil War. I had alluded to it on uh, some prior podcasts, but we are discussing The Road to Civil War, uh, which is a graphic novel, uh, but also it's it's a, a combination of multiple stories. So it includes New Avengers Illuminati, a one-shot by Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev. And then Fantastic Four, 536 and 537. And I will announce uh, those writers and artists as we get to them. And then Amazing Spider-Man, 529 to 531. So three issues of that, along with the main story of Marvel Comics, Civil War, issues one through seven. Uh, This is a really big one for me, at least, because this was the story that got me back into collecting comics, actually got me into collecting for the first time. Uh, So I'm really excited to talk about it. I just finished reading these yesterday and uh, took some notes. Uh, So this is going to be, I don't know if you want to call it half scripted. I basically wrote out a bunch of stuff as I was reading. And uh, so I'll be talking off the cuff, but I've also got some notes that I'm following along as well. Uh, So really excited to talk about this. And then at the end here, we will announce what July's comic uh, is going to be that we will be talking about. So uh, what I'm going to start with though is I kind of want to just give you guys a little bit of background on me. So when I lived in Texas, Um, my mom drove me to Lone Star Comics in Plano, uh, which is no longer there now today. It it changed its name and then, um, and then it just, I I think it's still there, but the actual store ownership is different now. Uh, but when I was there, this was a time when I was, I was in high school, I was a, a freshman and I was going to a private school in, uh, in Texas and it was funny and it sounds weird not so much anymore but at the time we all got laptops which was really cool it was a it was a, a fancy private school my parents um we i worked really hard to get into it like we had to write essays and got some um some like and call it clout, but like got a recommendation from the uh, priest at my church at the time. A lot of stuff went into it, and so part of it was this brand new fancy school called John Paul II High School. We were the um, the inaugural class of that school, so it was really exciting. Brand new school, brand new friends, uh, and this was the this was now would have been now um, the first high school that I attended of three different high schools. But uh, at the time, I had my own laptop, and so during you know free time in class, I was always on Marvel.com. Uh, looking through character biographies and reading up on different stories. This was before, you know, they'd even done digital comics at that time. Uh, but I, I would just use that to, to memorize, you know, oh, what's everything I need to know about, about this character. And before that, when I was a kid, um, I had the Dorleen Kindersley, the DK books, encyclopedias on Spider-Man and the X-Men. Those were like my Bibles. I read those every day. I, I memorized the uh, the different you know factoids that each of uh, the pages had on Spider-Man and all of his amazing friends and villains. And same with all the X-Men. And then that's where there was a time when I, I thought I could draw, and uh, I was really good at tracing. And so I would trace a lot of pictures from those books too. That's just that's how I fell in love with comics to begin with. That and the TV. TV shows, uh, but then I would I picked up a lot of uh, Marvel masterworks on Spider-Man at Barnes and Noble while I was growing up. 
And uh, so that's how I read comics when I was a kid. And that was it. I never actually had a comic book. Uh, but when I was in high school, and I'm looking through this, there's there was something, I think it popped up probably on Marvel.com that was like, oh, you know, we got this new event coming up, Civil War. And I was like, well, hang on a minute. That's interesting. Um, you know, the, the, the cover looked interesting of the first issue where half of it was just a blank uh, kind of page, the bottom piece of the, of the cover, and then the other half, the art looked really interesting. And I was like, ooh, okay. So I told my mom, and, and after school one day before we drive, drove back home, um, we stopped at that comic shop. And uh, again, I, this was way before I was as neurotic as I am today about comics. I had no idea what comics were in the store. I didn't know when comics were coming out. I didn't know what any of that meant. I just wanted to go check it out. And so we went in and uh, it was like, it was a magical moment. It's one of those moments that will stay with me for the rest of my life. I don't remember every single thing that happened. I just remember that feeling of being in the comic shop and the, you know the smells that you get from all the books and that feeling of being in this world that you prior thought was just your world and there's a lot of people out there that like that they like having their own little thing but i'm i'm really big on connecting with others and uh, so knowing that there was something out there, an actual comic shop where other people came in that were just as weird as me and read these stories just made these memories so much more powerful. And so that day, I picked up uh, the first issue of Civil War. Uh, I picked up the Civil War opening shot, which was like a free little comic, and then also had uh, picked up uh, Spider-Man, I, I, one of the issues of Spider-Man at the time, uh, and these Fantastic Four issues as well, all basically the Road to Civil War stuff, and then also Wolverine, Wolverine's story arc, and this is really good as well, and I had picked up a, a second printing of that while it was there, but I just remember sitting and reading those comics in the car ride home. And it was, I read them over and over. It was, it was the perfect marrying of story and art. Uh, because again, at that time, I had only read the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, Spider-Man comics, along with some random, like, I think I probably read an issue or two of Spider-Man 2099 by Peter David, and maybe, maybe some 90s Spider-Man, like random issues that you would find kind of at like a, a bookstore, or like Half Price Books is where I would typically get a random issue here or there. But um, this was the first time that I was, I was like, oh, this is what comics can be. And in that sense... I, uh, I'm super spoiled because, uh, and this is, this is not a knock at any artist. Obviously art is subjective and it always will be. Everyone is going to love comics a different way. They're going to love books, movies, music, whatever it is. It's going to affect everybody differently based on all the experiences that they've had. And, um, up until then, all of the art that I had seen in the comics was nine and nineties art. And uh, I wasn't a huge fan of it. Obviously, it was all I had, so I had to accept it. I had to love it, and I do. I always will. Um, Steve Ditko's a genius. But uh, when I saw Steve McNiven's art in Civil War, I was, I was, I literally was like, "This is what comics should be." It was the first time that I felt like comics were real. I mean, I'd, I always have had that in my mind because of the movies of like, oh, you know, these actors are playing it. Yeah, I could be a mutant. I could be, you know, who knows, right? Um, but when you read the comics, it was like, okay, yeah, this is a comic. Like, it looks like a comic. But when you read read this one specifically, the way Steve McNiven and the, the pencilers, inkers, artists on it crafted the story, everything is so crisp and clean. And, and when I've said this in the past on specific stories of how beautiful the art itself is... 
All of that is a reference point to this storyline. This was the storyline that changed my life in terms of comic art because it is so lifelike. And in doing so, it just it adds so much to the story. Uh, and again, art is subjective. There's artists out there, uh, and I'm trying to think of a couple. I mean, like, for example, Julian Tedesco, I believe is how it's pronounced. Um, and it's, I, I'm not sure if it's a he or a she, but they do the um, the covers right now for Daredevil. And when you look at that, it's like it's it's literally art. It, it looks like a water, a little bit of watercolor, and um, some beautiful popping colors. It's gorgeous, but it is stylized. It it looks like a painting. Whereas this art that Steve McNiven does in here, the the crispness of the colors and inks, it looks real. And so when I'm looking at it, I can have a perfect mental picture in my head of this happening in real life. And as I've read it over and over, that art has, it's, my opinion's changed just a little bit. Uh, he seems to do, he does seem to have some issues doing faces. There's some facial features that are messed up in some, in some panels. But honestly, it's all forgivable because, like I said, the story itself is amazing. Um, so that's just a little bit of background on kind of what uh, what I was experiencing at the time that this book came out. And this was right at that same time where I think second printings were getting really popular. So I, you know, there were some, they, they would sell out. Civil War sold out. New Avengers Illuminati sold out. Wolverine 42 sold out. Uh, Spider-Man's sold out. And same with Fantastic Four. There was a second printing for that too. That was the one that I got. Uh, and that was where my collecting started. I was like, I gotta get these first prints. But I've realized over the years, whenever I'd see the second printing again, I'd, I'd buy it because it was that second printing that was the first thing that I'd ever got when I went into comics. So, um, and, and the reason for this, this is a lot of background, but like I said, this is a this is a really important series to me, and uh, it's uh, it may be a really important series to a lot of you because now it's been translated into the MCU as well. Back in 2016 with uh, Captain America: Civil War, which again. Based on everything I've told you so far, you can imagine my excitement when that movie was announced. That that movie was the movie I was waiting for. That was the movie I wanted the minute I read Civil War One. I. I thought to myself, man, this would make a great movie. And uh, we finally got it, and we got it almost as as good as the you know and then arguably in some ways better than the story but we'll get to that part uh there's a lot of discussion in most of these stories surrounding the movie so um but what the whole point i'm saying for that is i would argue that the road to civil war is almost as important as civil war itself and this is one of those few rare comic book event series where all of the tie-ins are incredibly important. Are they necessary? Arguably not. Some of them aren't, and we'll talk about that as well. But for the most part, all of them are really good. They're really good stories. And the reason for that is this is a concept, this, this idea of registering superheroes is a concept that has been begging to be told since comics started, right? This is, I mean, it's the, the age-old idea of, you know, you've got superpowers, you should be, excuse me, stopping crime, but who's stopping you? Who watches the Watchmen, right? Like, this is a, it's a concept that Marvel never really dove into, and maybe they did lightly throughout the past, I can't confirm it, but this was something that I would argue was, uh, you know, late, honestly. They could have written this story uh, in the sixth, they could have written this story, you know, five, ten years after 
uh, comics came out after the first few giant world-ending events that Marvel Comics wrote about because just like in the movie, you know, it's a couple of big events that cause it to the, the Superhero Registration Act to go into play. But um, yeah, so all of that said, Civil War and these prelude issues, all of those issues, the tie-ins, are, are what got me into collecting comics. So um, the Marvel method of hooking readers really does work, but it only works if the stories are good. And the stories that are told in both of these um, these tomes, these graphic novels, are fantastic. Uh, New Avengers Illuminati may be one of the biggest one-shots that I have ever read. And uh, the reason I say that is because there is so much that happens in this story that affects the Marvel Universe going forward. So again, this is by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Alex Maleev. Uh, and so New Avengers Illuminati is about... Uh, a group of the greatest heroes deciding to meet in secret and um, talk about big events that are going on. So the, the, the premise of it was uh, sort of the Kree Skrull War. And so after a, a piece of that happened, Iron Man realized maybe it, we maybe we could have prevented this had we have come up with a game plan prior, had we have united our forces. So that's kind of what this is. They meet in Wakanda, and it just says many years ago because comic continuity um, you know, is endless, so who knows when they actually met, but a long time ago. And so it's Iron Man, Doctor Strange, Professor Xavier, Fanta uh, Mr. Fantastic, Black Bolt, Namor, and Black Panther, which is, it's just perfect. It's genius to have all of them in the same room together. Like, they really are the heads of everything. You've got Iron Man sort of in charge of the Avengers, um, Professor Xavier with the X-Men, Fantastic Four, the Inhumans, Atlantis, Wakanda. Uh, really is brilliant. So, um, basically, this is a very uh, Brian Michael Bendis uh, tale, and I say that because there, it is dialogue heavy. It is just a lot of talking heads, but that's what makes this so good. Is because the dialogue is so crisp and breezes by as you hear some of these heroes bicker with each other, which is um, just great. I mean, there's a there's a there's a panel right here where. Um, they're talking to, or Professor Xavier says, the Skrulls tried to turn the public against you, and they came close. It's a new feeling for you, and that kind of animosity, and for you, that kind of animosity. Am I right? And he says, well, yes. He says, as mutants, we feel what you're feeling right now, every day, all day. I know exactly how you feel, and you want to turn that feeling into something positive, and that's noble. But this idea and he says, but he's basically saying like, this is not a good idea. And this is what a lot of them are saying is like meeting in secret, keeping secrets. That's how things fall apart. But there is an agreed upon uh, idea that they should be meeting to, to prepare for these sort of big events. But whether it's in secret or not, I don't know. And so Namor is anti against it. Um, Black Panther is against it as well. Uh, Black Bolt sort of is with it, and as is um, Professor Xavier. I mean, they all are varying degrees of iffy on the whole idea. But the interesting reason, or the reason for all of this, is um, that they uh, Iron Man hears or hears that something is is coming down the pike. But what's even more interesting about this, and this is the biggest thing, honestly, now the biggest thing that I'm taking away from this. There is a panel that uh, Iron Man, say, and again, this is from, I think, 2006, maybe 2005, but uh, Iron Man says, anything else we need to talk about before T'Challa's guards have us removed? Because T'Challa's like, this is, a, this is not happening and leaves. And then Professor Xavier says, actually, I'd like to talk about an island in the South Pacific. 
it's called Krakoa. But then that's that's it. That's the last bit, and then it you know scene changes to something else, and we never hear anything else about it. So I I just thought it was fascinating that um, that he mentions this because I doubt that Marvel was planning House of X and Powers of Ten around this time. Who knows? Maybe they were. They're they're smart on some things. But to have Bendis call out Krakoa and have that be something the Illuminati would talk about makes me wonder if that's a, uh, so not necessarily a retcon, but just something where you could look back at it and go, oh, wow, you know, they were planting seeds for this literally, uh, what would that be, uh, 13 years ago? Holy crap. So then the next the next section is in regards to the Hulk. So right around this exact same time, right before Civil War, uh, the Hulk went on a rampage in Las Vegas. He killed some people as well. And so they're trying to figure out what to do about it, and they're meeting in secret. And the suggestion is that we launch the Hulk into space. Terrible idea, right? That's literally what starts Planet Hulk and goes into World War Hulk. Same, that's literally what happens in Thor Ragnarok, the movie. And uh, again, Namor is against this he's like this is not going to end well uh for you guys at all when the hulk realizes this and comes back he's going to kill you all and literally prophesized world war hulk right there in these pages uh but not only and then he gets kicked out and and fights him and namor fight in the ocean because you know namor can't seem to namor's got a hot head if you guys didn't know that by now but uh from there they launch the hulk into space and then it goes back to now today which is uh, him waiting for the team to meet again. And he talks about, um, he says, anyone uh, with powers, anyone in costume, any mutant, any of our kind is going to be required by law to reveal themselves to the United States government. In return, the registered heroes will be given a job as a guard in the new Shield World Security Force. You will still have to be a suit. You'll still get to be a superhero, but you'll have to answer to someone. Refusing to do so will be considered a federal crime. And so, uh, you know, again, split down the middle. Doctor Strange thinks it's a terrible idea. Mister Fantastic likes it. Namor doesn't. Black Bolt, I don't think necessarily cares. But um, he and so he says, "I'm telling you, this is happening right now." House of M, Nick Fury's Secret War, the One Nine Eight. The attack on Avengers Mansion, it's all come to this. An environment of fear has been created where this bill can not only exist, but will pass. And he's talking about all of this in hypotheticals because at this point, he just has a he has access to this bill. He it hasn't gone through anything yet, but he's again, he's a futurist. So um and this is this is the part I'm going to read for you guys because this is so good and and it's it's uh, and I put it in my notes too. I imagine Bendis loved writing this because it, it Iron Man literally prophesizes all of what happens during Civil War, and at the time of reading this when it came out, you'd have no idea. But going back and rereading it, you'd be like, wow, he he really is a genius. And, and both, both Bendis doing that to be sneaky, but just Iron Man in general. So he says, I am a futurist. The way my mind works, the way Reed's mind works, we can intuit the future. That's why we're such successful inventors. We know what people will need before people even know they're going to need it. And now I'm going to tell you the future. A hero, probably a young one one of the young Avengers, or one of those kids in Los Angeles, some carefree, happy-go-lucky, well-meaning young person with the best of intentions will do something wrong. He'll be trying to save someone, do something heroic, but he'll make a mistake, turn to the left instead of turning right, and people will be hurt or killed because of it. 
and it'll either happen on live TV or it'll be recorded. And like Rodney King, it'll play over and over and over all over the world until the unrest that is already bubbling will boil over and every politician looking to make a name for himself will run right on TV and they'll tell America how they are going to save the world from these out-of-control costume characters who think the law doesn't apply to them. And half of us will go along with it, and half of us won't. And because of this mini-rebellion, our lawmakers will be forced to make an example of someone. Someone like our friend Spider-Man. Someone they can make a real spectacle of. Someone they can unmask on TV, destroy his marriage and family, and pin a crime or two on. All for the whole world to see, and the country will rupture. Sides will be taken and people will get hurt. Friend against friend, people who used to be adversaries finding themselves teamed up for a common cause. Friends dying at the hands of a former ally or teammate. This is what will happen. But if we come to them now as representatives of the most powerful of all the heroes, cooperate and incorporate ourselves into the process, we can defuse it. That's what he says. Uh, and literally, that's exactly what happens, right? Um, you know, they uh, the new warriors uh, on TV recorded uh, caused the Stanford explosion. And uh, everyone, you know, everything bubbles over. This is also an interesting take on everything that's been going on now with police brutality and specifically like the death of George Floyd caught on tape being played over and over and over the un and the unrest that was already bubbling will boil over. It's that exact same concept. Um, and then for making the spectacle of Spider-Man, he literally gets Spider-Man to unmask on camera. It's insane. And then from their friends dying at the hands of a former ally or teammate, Bill Foster, Goliath, he's killed by the robot Thor. Um, so there's there's just, uh, it's crazy how, how, how prophetical he is of this. And so, um, yeah, Black Bolt does not tell him anything, but basically says he's leaving. And then um, Doctor Strange says, never call upon me again, and leaves as well. And then that's it, and that's the end of that issue. So it's it, nothing happens in the issue. It's a lot of talking. There's a little bit of action, but it sets up so much. It is truly one of the best primers to an event series I've ever read, where everything in it is required reading. Everything in it ties into so many different things, uh, but it's not. you don't have to read it to get the story. That's what's cool about it. Next up in line is Fantastic Four, issues uh, 536 and 537, called The Hammer Falls by uh, J. Michael Straczynski and Mike McCone on pencils, with uh, inks by Andy Lanning, uh, Kev Walker, Cam Smith, and Chris Justice, uh, colors by Paul Mounts. So there's two issues is uh gives a lot of focus on obviously reed richards and the fantastic four but it deals with some of the fallout that he experiences during that illuminati issue so um and and that's what's really cool about this bundle of road to civil war is you get all of those big name people in in the one shot and then you get two stories following reed and then two story uh, three part fall essentially following iron man and both of them reference the illuminati one shot so that's in this one um but you kind of get to see more of Reed's perspective in this. He, he comes back home and tells his wife, and you know, she's like, where were you? And he, you know, has a flashback of the Illuminati and says nothing, you know, nothing. He's just, this is really, it's, it reads lying becomes a huge bit going forward. 
And uh, it really goes into Hickman's run too with the Council of Reeds, all the other stuff that he does where he's just, he continuously, as as well-intentioned as Reed Richards is, he is really good at causing rifts in his family, especially during Civil War. So you get to see the cracks start forming in here as he starts keeping things from his wife. And uh, the art is really well done in this too to display kind of her being frustrated with him and not understanding why she he won't share things. But what it's a great story too because this is the story that fuels the kind of concept and design from the original Thor movie by uh, Kenneth Branagh. So um, basically the story is the hammer uh, of Thor falls to earth in Broxton, Oklahoma and uh, there's a crew of government, mercenaries, whatever it is you want to call them. They don't really dive too deep into it, but they build a little center around the, the thing, almost identical to how it looks in the movie. And uh, they, they, again, don't go into as much detail in the movie, but what happens is that place starts getting attacked by Doom bots. It sounds like Doom has found out that the hammer has fallen there. Or And at this point, the Fantastic Four don't really know, but they're called upon, they show up, and uh, they fight off all these Doom bots, and lo and behold, Doom actually is one of them. And they're saying, you know, oh, this is not good. He literally is the king of Latveria, yet he is openly attacking the United States. It doesn't make sense, and they don't really explain it in the story. But he explains that when he was in hell, and again, this is all, these are stuff when I read this story, I was like, I don't know any of this. I don't. I had no idea that Thor was dead. I had no idea that Ragnarok just happened, uh, or that Doom was just in hell. But... Um, but I'm going with it, and it's not. They don't make it to where you feel like you've been left out. They explain it, but he's in hell, and he gets this vision of the Asgardians. He sees Thor and all this, so he feels like he is empowered to lift this hammer. That that was a message that he can lift it, and so they fight. They have a big fight, and um, and it's just your classic, you know, Fantastic Four fighting Doom. You get to hear it's clobber in time, flame on. Uh, and that that's one of those things that's like, okay, yeah, you know, we've heard that a lot. And, and I get, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four. I'm a huge fan of the idea of the Fantastic Four, but I've never actually been a huge fan of Fantastic Four comics. I read a lot of the old ones, uh, and I read Mike, I read JMS's story, so both this Road to Civil War and the series during Civil War, which is also good, and I would highly recommend. But um, there's just something about them that is... It's it's the same as the X Men, right? Like they they've been the same. They are quote unquote Marvel's first family. They're they're wholesome. They have their little quips. Flame on, uh, you know. Thing is is a true New Yorker from Yancey Street. It's clobbering time. I'm the ever loving blue eyed thing. Uh, I I've just I've I've never been a fan of those lines, and I think that's just that's just me. Uh, to me, it's a little cringy, but uh, again, that's just my own subjective preference. But that doesn't make this a bad story. So again, very simple. It's only two issues, but they beat up Doom, but then Doom kind of blasts them off and he's like, nope, I'm lifting this hammer. And so he goes to grab the hammer and a giant explosion takes place when he tries lifting it. And it shoots this huge like crackling beam into the sky. And um, Doom's like, you know, this isn't right. He can't lift the hammer. And he goes, I, I felt that power for a moment. But uh, I thought it would be enough, but I, I was wrong. And so then he just leaves. He's like, that's it. I'm, I'm leaving. 
But then at that point, the next thing we see is a guy in a train station, and he's got the initials on his backpack say DB, so we know that's Donald Blake. So for me, it was kind of exciting at that time reading this, because I was like, ooh, does that mean Thor's coming back? And to all you Merry Marvelites out there, he is coming back. He comes back right after Civil War, and he gets his own series by J. Michael Straczynski that is a phenomenal series and will definitely be something that we'll visit uh, in the future as a comic book club it's a, a good story for another time but that's essentially uh, that's essentially how it end it ends and um, so again just a little bit of interesting background into Reed but I would say the best the best of all of these besides Illuminati is the Spider-Man series so uh, this is Amazing Spider-Man 529 to 531 and I believe uh, I'm check real quick but I'm pretty sure this is also J. Michael Straczynski yep and pencils are by Ron Garney and Tyler Kirkham, with inks by Bill Reinhold, Jay Leistein, and Sal Regia, with colors by Matt Miller and uh, John Starr. So this story is fascinating. It's a really interesting tale about how uh, Peter Parker becomes the protege to Tony Stark. So this is, in and of itself, the basis of Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, it's another thing taken and used by Marvel, and that's the reason why, again, this this road to Civil War is so interesting. You're getting so many connections to the MCU. The MCU takes a lot from Civil War, from so many different Civil War stories, and um, really makes them their own. So Tony, in this in this uh, this three part tale, Tony makes Peter his Iron Man spider suit and asks asks him to be his right hand man. They head to Washington because Tony is trying to get the superhuman superhuman registration bill killed before it goes to the floor, and he brings up some really good arguments in the story. The same arguments that you know Cap would make. And uh, Peter says a couple as well um, because he's there with him. But then they get uh, attacked by Titanium Man on camera. And during that recording, uh, he explains like, you know, this the minute that this gets passed, we're coming after you guys. Like this is just we're, we're telling you right now. Like you get this passed, you uh, reveal your identity to the government. Like we'll hack the government system, and uh, we're gonna find you. And so he shows that to the um, to the congressman. He's like, "Hey, look, like, look, this is literally what he said. Like, this is why it's a bad idea." And so after that ends as well, they leave. And Peter's like, "You didn't plan that, did you? Like, that's pretty convenient that he showed up right when we were here." And he's like, "No, no, of course not. But he did. Uh, Tony Stark totally, uh, totally planned it. And he meets with Titanium Man, and and Titanium Man's like, "Hey." This is already going on in Russia, and he's like, you guys are right along with it, and you're going to end up just like me doing work and getting paid for it uh, because, you know, that's just the way the world works now. And it's really a really interesting thing just to show, one, you know, Tony uh, is really good at lying and sneaking around, but the other thing that is interesting about this, and I don't think I realized it until this read-through, is that it shows even though Tony knew what would happen with the bill— right? He knew that it's going to be passed. He tried everything he could to make it not get passed. He truly didn't want it to be passed, which adds a ton of weight to Tony's side of the fight going forward. He isn't as bad of a guy as we thought, even though he paid Titanium Man to show up. And there are some interesting parallels between this uh, Civil War and the Civil War of old in in actual American history, uh, the Civil War around slavery. And, um, 
him and Peter talk about it while they're standing at the Lincoln Memorial, uh, just about, they don't dive into the racial issues, but they talk about how, you know, there's, it's brother versus brother. Lincoln knew that a country divided could not stand. The story ends with Peter going back home, trying to zone out, and he falls asleep to the news as Tony's first vision comes to pass, and we hear that a giant explosion in Stamford, Connecticut has killed over 600 people, and the final lines of that Spider-Man story are, who the hell is Speedball? So I, and I'm, I'm getting the chills right now, I got the chills when I was reading it, it's such a pivotal moment in this story, because that's what causes the Registration Act to get truly pushed through and passed. Again, you gotta remember, at this point, it's just like any other bill in Congress. It's it's fully prepared to just sit around forever. And Tony talks about that. Like this this bill, uh, they're trying to pass it, but our goal is to continue to delay it until it gets bogged down like any other bill and just disappears. That's their plan. And uh, because of this, that you know, it fails. That's the the plan fails. And it's a it's it's just a really good story. I that that whole JMS tale of spider-man which continues from i believe it's amazing spider-man 532 to 538 the civil war section highly recommend reading that as well uh, that deals with the fallout of peter and what he deals with during this it also deal also has the famous captain america speech of uh, you plant yourself like a tree and you tell them no you move uh, that's all in jms's spider-man run uh, during civil war but that, without further ado, brings us to the main event, which is Marvel's Civil War. This is by Mark Millar and Steve McNiven, uh, with inks by quite a few people. Dexter, Well, it's inks by De- Dexter Vines, uh, with Mark Morales, Steve McNiven, John Dell, and Tim Townsend. Colorist Maury Howell, or Hollowell, and then letters by Chris Eliopoulos. So that's what I'm saying in terms of the art. There's a lot of people doing this, and I've realized that because if you notice recently, Steve McNiven did the covers for the history of the Marvel Universe. I specifically got the Javier Rodriguez covers because I didn't like the Steve McNivens. I have been less and less of a fan of him going forward, but this art that he does in this is phenomenal. It's hands down one of my favorite colored, painted um, series ever of all time. So um, we're just going to break this down issue by issue, and I'm going to kind of give you some thoughts and topics on it. So issue one starts out with now the full explanation of what happens. So Speedball and uh, his squad of new warriors are chasing ratings. He literally admits on camera that they need the ratings. Um, and there's a group of supervillains hiding in this house that they notice. And even one of them says like, hey, these guys seem out of our league. We should call the Avengers. And he's like, no, think of the ratings. Think of what we're going to get. And you know at that point that it's not going to end well. They go in, they fight everyone. One of those people happens to be Nitro, whose power is to, he can explode. And um, they're fighting him. They smash him. They like, kick him out of the house. And right across the street is a school. And it's Namorita, uh, Namor's cousin, who's fighting him. And he just smiles. And he basically says, like, you have no idea what... Uh, he says, you're playing with the big boys now. And then he explodes. And that is how it starts. It says Civil War. And now they're projecting that the casualties are almost up to 900 people, including tons of kids from that school so that that just you know the next scene is all of the superheroes are at the scene of the the they're called the scene of the crime uh helping clean up 
and at the same time, you've got the famous line where uh, Miriam Sharp, who is the son, the mother of one of the sons who dies, kids who dies, um, she spits at Tony Stark at the funeral and says, you're a filthy piece of crap. Essentially the exact same um, tale from Captain America Civil War where um, the lady uh, hits to- slaps Tony Stark. I believe she slaps him, but... Um, talks with him behind the scenes after that barf presentation it's the exact same she says you know who's financing the avengers who's keeping them accountable you caused my son to die and so he's got a lot going on and then at the same time we get a little little bits and pieces of how this is affecting other people so um johnny storm is taking a girl out on a date at a club and some people beat him up they crack him over the head with a bottle and he gets uh, knocked unconscious has to go to the hospital and so from there all of the superheroes meet at the baxter building to kind of discuss this and um, start trying to figure out who's going to be on what side. So you're getting a lot of talk bubbles about, you know, this is right, this is wrong. Uh, But then at that point, we get the famous Captain America scene. Uh, And I say famous because it's from the movie, the movies, but, or the movies borrowed it from here, but it's the scene where he's on the shield helicarrier. And they're like, you know, this is coming down to the wire cap. Maria Hill saying like, you know, we're going to have to round up a lot of superheroes. And she, he's like, oh, I'm sorry. You, you're assuming that I'm going to be one of those people to round them up. It's actually a great, uh, yeah, it says, she says, how many rebels do we estimate here, Captain? A lot. Any majors? A few, but mostly the heroes who work close to the streets like Daredevil and Luke Cage. Maria says, so nobody you can't handle. And he says, excuse me? And she says, you heard. And so basically it's like, you're going to be doing this. And so, and he's like yelling at her, don't play politics with me. Superheroes need to stay above this stuff or Washington starts telling us who the villains are. All those great lines from the the Civil War movie. But she's got a group of uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. agents ready to take him down. He beats up all of them and crashes out of the helicarrier, lands in a plane, on a plane that's flying, and surfs that plane down to the ground. And it is that exact same bit when the Hulk jumps out of the helicarrier in Avengers and, uh, you know, skates down on that plane. Um, But then by the end of this, uh, we get Iron Man, Mr. Fantastic, and Yellow Jacket, Hank Pym, saying, leave Captain America to us. They're telling the president, uh, like, we'll handle it. We'll take care of it from here. And that moves us into issue number two, uh, where the Superhero Registration Act has passed. And uh, they are now basically saying there are seven days until it becomes law. And during this time, Captain America has gone underground. Uh, they start to realize the uh, the pro-registration side uh, had to realize that he's working underground and he's not working alone now. Which leads us to uh, the next piece of this, uh, which is essentially greater cracks forming for uh, Reed Richards, him and his wife. He starts telling her about uh, this Project 42, and uh, we don't know what it is. Our number, it calls it number 42. Uh, and she's like, what is this? And, and she, he's like, sorry, that's highly classified. And it's like, God, Reed, like you are just ruining things with your wife right now. And uh, he won't tell her. And so um, then we get to the Young Avengers. That's uh, Patriot along with Wiccan and um, Speed. I think Speed's in here, but also uh, Hulkling and Kate Bishop. They're captured. There's a long fight chase scene that's really, really kind of sad. I mean, they're, they're basically got the crap beaten out of them and captured. But at this point, we find out that Cap and his squad, which is like Falcon, Hercules, 
They save them. They, they pretended to be the people capturing them and bust them out. And then they have Wiccan teleport them to their secret base, which he explains is um, it's like a highly classified base that only Nick Fury knows. And Nick Fury is nowhere to be found and certainly not, you know, picking sides. But uh, what's crazy is this is the, this is the issue. So, you know, you finish issue one. And you're like, wow, this is going to be a really good story. You finish issue two, and that is the um, the scanners scene where uh, Daryl Revick uh, explodes the guy's head, the famous gift of the, the man's head just exploding. And um, that's this issue, because at the end of this issue, just as Tony prophesied in New Avengers Illuminati, uh peter reveals in front of everyone in front of the news in front of j jonah jameson that he is spider-man it's a brilliant amazing um it it just i lost my mind can you imagine uh and i maybe you can because you're you were a part of this as well but being such a huge spider-man fan that was my favorite has always been and probably will always be uh my favorite superhero just because it was the first comics that I read, the first shows I watched, first superhero movie that I saw, um, live action. I, I it took me a bit to watch the X Men movies. I, I don't know why, but um, you know I, I watched Spider Man, and uh, I just the, the concept behind him. He is he was me. He was me as a kid. He was a nerd. He was young. He was you know inexperienced. He he made mistakes. He it just I really really resonated with him, and even at that time. I lost it. I didn't, I literally didn't know how to react because at that time I wasn't following the Spider-Man series, which if you read the Amazing Spider-Man series at the same time, the Civil War one, they, they allude to this. Tony talks with him. He prepares him for this, says, hey, we need you to do this. And he's like, he talks it over with, there's an issue where he talks it over with Mary Jane and Aunt May. You know, this is the, this is what we'll choose to do. And then it was at this point where I was like, you know, screw it. I'm, I'm going all in. So at this point, after issue two, I started subscribing to Amazing Spider-Man. I started subscribing to Civil War Frontline. To Wolf- I was already subscribing to Wolverine, Fantastic Four, as many of these tie-ins as possible because I did not want to miss anything. But this is one of the biggest moments in comic book history. Spider-Man was one of those few characters. You know, you've got you've got that one section where it's like you know, but like deaths. There are certain deaths that you never reverse you never reverse uncle ben's death you never reverse gwen stacy's death you never reverse bucky barnes death those were the big three that they talked about or like batman's parents um you never unmask spider-man spider-man no one can know who spider-man is because green goblin found out who spider-man was and killed gwen stacy because of it though in this we we dive into this a little bit more in this of uh you know tony explaining it to spider-man but um you just don't unmask him. And so him being unmasked, it was this feeling for me. And it's it's oh, it's just beautiful. The art is phenomenal. He says, my name is Peter Parker, and I've been Spider-Man since I was 15 year old, years old. Mr. Jameson faints. And uh, the, you, you get the whole wide splash page of him just standing up at the podium with his mask off. He says, any questions? And that's the end of the issue. It just, and I'm, I'm getting chills right now talking about it. I've never not had chills reading it. Reading it in that moment, though, it felt like the possibilities were endless. And I thought to myself, 
This is this is comics taking huge leaps and and brave steps. But when I look back at it, and when I was thinking of here, this is actually one of uh, the biggest mistakes that Marvel made. And uh, this is definitely a point of contention for a lot of people. Uh, I would be glad, and I certainly wouldn't argue. I, w- I would never argue with anyone on this because I I believe I truly believe it is one of Marvel's biggest mistakes. Uh, but it also is one of Marvel's biggest moments and one of its greatest moments because I just couldn't stop smiling. Like the burden that Peter Parker has holding on to this identity to protect his family, protect his loved ones, for him to get that off of his chest had to have felt amazing. No pun intended. And also really scary because he talks about it in the Road to Civil War issues throughout all of his career of, you know, I will never reveal my identity. But now, again, he has been made a spectacle of. But the reason I say it's a mistake is because this costs Spider-Man so much grief and pain for his family, just as Tony predicted. And it would take years, it takes years for the world to forget that he is Spider-Man. From this, you get so many questionable stories that I honestly enjoyed. I liked all of them. At the time, I had no complaints. I see where people can complain about it, but um, you've got the whole back in black storyline where he, you know, his identity is out there. So he has to change his costume. He goes into the black costume. Uh, During that time, that's when Aunt May gets shot. And uh, I believe that was orchestrated by the Kingpin, uh, which, again, literally what he said would happen, happens. And at that point, Mary Jane and him sacrifice their marriage to Mephisto to save May's life. And that brings about Brand New Day. Again, all things I liked. I thought it was cool because I'm always down for a fresh new story. But it just, it caused a lot of rifts in fandom. And again, it took years for it to get to a point where I believe it was Doctor Strange who... um, well, and it was partially uh, Mephisto, right? Like Meph- part of the agreement was that Aunt May's life would be spared and no one would remember that he was Spider-Man except for the two of them, for Spider-Man and Mary Jane. But the cost was his mar- their marriage, which is an interesting story, interesting concept. Again, that's my opinion. But, um, and it's, it, I, you know, and I haven't read it in a while. That again will be something that we will read. I, I got the uh, JMS Giant uh, Omnibus Collection that includes all this Civil War and uh, the other storyline, this, this back and black storyline, One More Day. But, um, so there may be some spots that are bad, but I just know that it took a long time for everyone to forget that he was Spider-Man. And it's like all of that was just because Tony wanted him to step out and support the Superhero Registration Act, which is just sad, super sad. Uh, so from there, we move to issue three, which is uh, Tony trying to recruit as many people as possible for the coming conflict. Um Reed tries to sort of recruit back Panther, who says, I'm 100% staying out of this. I'm not even part of America. Why would you even bother with this? We're our own country. How would you feel if Wakanda asked America to do this? And then um, he, and it's so great because this entire time in the movie, the, the, the movie, the, the comic, Johnny is still in the hospital. And Black Panther seems to care more about that than Reed does. He, he like won't go visit him. He's too busy doing all this stuff. And he says, um, he says, I'm afraid. He says, well, let me ask you this. What about Johnny Storm? Is the human torch recovering well? And he says, I haven't checked in for a day or two, but Susan's barely left his bedside. If anything is wrong, I'm sure I would have heard. And then he changes the subject. And Black Panther says, word of advice, Reed, call Susan. 
and um, but then we get more people like to try and recruit Doctor Strange. Wong says nope, he's doing forty days of fasting to try and fix the conflict, which is kind of interesting. Tony visits Emma Frost, tries to recruit the X Men. They say absolutely not. Where were you guys when Genosha happened? No Avengers came and helped us when all of our kind were killed, and now you're asking me to help yours? Absolutely not. But we promise that we will not interfere one way or the other. We're basically staying out of it. That's also a really interesting storyline. Is this? Civil War X-Men 1 through 4 uh, was a fun one to read. and uh, But then we get all of the, the secret Avengers at this point, as they're calling themselves, are uh, getting new identities and trying to start a new life. But they get a call that there is a um, – they're basically showing up at this chemical plant. And it ends up being a trap. Iron Man shows up with all of his team. And they make it look, it gets to the point where it looks like Tony and, and Cap are going to talk it out. They shake hands, but uh, Tony, Cap puts on a like an inhibitor thing, that uh, an electron scrambler that uh, shorts out Tony's uh, suit. And then Cap beats the crap out of him, and then everyone starts fighting. This is where one of the big moments comes of um, all of a sudden Thor shows up. And that's the end of this issue is, is a beautiful shot of Thor. And it's like, holy crap, for me, I don't know what to believe. Is this, is this uh, you know, the real deal? And it turns out it's not. We go into issue four and we find out that it is a animatronic Thor, a almost lifelike version based off of the DNA of Thor that Tony got from a strand of Thor's hair along with Hank Pym's cybernetics. And this Thor cannot be controlled. And I wouldn't say accidentally. He purposely kills Goliath. And that sort of ends this entire fight. Sue um, says, nope, we're done, and, and puts a shield, uh, a force field, over all of the, uh, the anti-registration heroes and says, get out of here now. And they all leave, they all disappear, and Thor gets powered down. He's sent back for reprogramming. Uatu is there. Uatu showed up at the beginning of this, but he's there now, and they're like, man, this is, this is not what we signed up for. We weren't trying to kill our friends. And so at this point, that's where the rift grows and people start changing sides and switching sides. This is where Spider-Man realizes that he's on the wrong side. And um, this is where a couple of anti-registration heroes as well, they say, you know what, this is, you know, we shouldn't be involved in this. We should just register and they leave. And then they have the funeral for Bill Foster. And this is, it's just, this part really makes me upset. So at this funeral, Miriam Sharp shows up again. And she says the following. And again, this is at Goliath's funeral, an African-American. She says, Goliath knew what he was doing. He was breaking a law designed to save people's lives. And again, remember, this is just one side's perspective, but designed to save people's lives. If he had only gone legitimate, he'd still be alive. Arguably, yes. This is no more your fault than a cop could be blamed for shooting a punk who pulls a gun on him. I think that is a very problematic statement, and obviously over time, it just will become a more and more problematic statement, right? Like this probably wasn't as bad at that time. No one was thinking about this, but um, you know, a cop is 100% at fault for shooting somebody. They're never not going to be at fault for shooting someone. And, and to this argument, Tony is 100% at fault. This is the same thing. Same argument can be made Tony Stark in the movies creates Ultron, and Ultron causes Sokovia. 
right? That's Tony Stark's fault, and he owns that. That's why he's up it. So her saying this is not good. This is not this. This is literally the sort of reasoning that people try to use to justify their actions, right? To say, you know, we were if only that kid didn't have a gun in his hand, he wouldn't be dead. Okay, so it's now a crime to hold a gun. Okay, great, fine, sure. It's it is now a crime to point a gun at someone. That sure, I'm imagining in some places that is a crime, but. The minute that someone gets killed, it's the fault of whoever killed them, whoever caused them to be killed. So to say this, to try and comfort Iron Man at this funeral is, and she sa- he says, Miss Sharp, and she says, shh, I also want to give you this, my son Damien's favorite toy since she was three years old, and it's an Iron Man toy, just to remind you why you're doing this. Yeah, Tony, tell us, why are you doing this? You just created a literal murder bot in this story, just the same as you did in the movies, and uh, you got to remember why you're doing this because you're Iron Man, right? And we're gonna get a, we get to this at the very end of um, of the story of of relating it to the overall picture. But just thought that was really interesting. And so at this part, we get one of my favorite scenes in this in this uh, story as well. I don't know why. I just I love it. Sue leaves Reed and uh, writes him this note. It's a really well written note, very sweet. And, um, but says like, please fix this. I'm doing this for the best of reasons. And I pray, or yeah, this is just, it's the classic conversation of a wife, a female who is, has in the past, probably many times, again, I haven't read a lot of Fantastic Four, but is being gaslit by her husband, ignored by her husband, her husband's ignoring the family. And it's not because he's a bad person. It's because he loves his work the most. And um, you could, there's arguments to be made on the, on both sides of that. But she says, and, and listen to this. This is again, wow. I hope I don't look like a coward for leaving this way. I hope you don't think I'm a bad wife or worse still, a bad mother. I'm doing this for the best of reasons, and pray that your genius can resolve this before one side ends up slaughtering the other. I love you, Reed, more than anything in the world. Please fix this. And uh, it's just like, okay, like you are having to justify to your husband why you're leaving. You don't. You really don't need to justify at all, right? He's not being a good guy right now. He's a good person, but in this moment, he's not being a good guy. He's creating prisons and and all this psycho stuff. And so that's when we kind of start um, – well, the end of this issue is now, now the pro-registration people are using the Thunderbolts to bring people in. If that's just one more reason why they're wrong, they are now using villains to bring in the superheroes who don't want to register. And so this next issue, issue number five, opens up um, with uh, – Johnny saving Sue and they're they're flying away, but also um, Spider-Man switches sides and the story again is so much better in the Amazing Spider-Man uh, story. It goes into a lot more depth and detail, but we still get a really good conversation here with um, with him and Tony Stark, and he says, I mean, he just keeps talking to him. Stark keeps trying to say things to him, and uh, so they start fighting, and he says. Uh, he says, Aunt May and Mary, he says, what about Aunt May? Like you, you already unmasked yourself, Peter. Like what about Aunt May? What about Mary Jane? He says, Aunt May and Mary Jane are as far away as possible. And he says, I'm disappointed in you, Peter. And he's shooting him and he's dodging every bullet. Like this, this series really showed just how powerful Spider-Man is. And at the time, you know, cause everyone always thought he was a kid, 
but you're you're getting to see and and you see it in multiple issues how kick ass Spider-Man is. He is dodging all of Spider-Man's uh or Spider-Man's dodging all of Iron Man's blasts saying not as disappointed as I am in myself. And then he tries to jump out the window but can't because it's reinforced glass. Other guys bust in, start shooting bullets, breaks the glass, Spider-Man escapes. But guess what? That's not enough. Maria Hill sends in the Thunderbolts to bring Spider-Man in. Good lord. Spider-Man's running through the, the sewers and uh, gets the crap, absolute crap beaten out of him by Jack-O-Lantern and uh, is it like Jester or something? Some C-list hero, uh, villain. But both of their heads get blown off by the Punisher. And the Punisher, surprise, surprise, he's the guy who was in the mask in the prior issue. He's in one shot in a mask. I remember when that issue came out too. This was right around when um, the series started getting delayed. So uh, it was a while in between issues. And I remember I would be in the Marvel chat rooms uh, kind of talking with people like, who is that guy in the mask? And everyone was trying to figure it out. And then boom, we get the answer the next issue. It was, it's Punisher. So he saves him, brings him back and uh says we need healing for him now and people are like we can't have punisher on our team but the very end of this issue is daredevil getting taken into the prison and, and if you guys are, are are wise enough it's not actually daredevil it was iron fist impersonating daredevil to help him but he gives he had a he had a silver dollar hiding under his uh tongue the guy gives it to tony and he says what's this and he says um he says i guess that's 31 pieces of silver you've got now huh sleep well judas and then that's the end of that issue. Like, oh man, really, really slamming it into Stark. So that moves us into issue six, which is setting up the big finale, uh, which is a fight in the negative zone. So we find out at this point that the number 42 is a giant prison that is in the negative zone, which honestly, you know, from a very high level is a really smart decision. Uh, he talks about multiple times, Tony, uh, that, you know, what's the point? We capture these villains, they keep escaping. Let's keep in the negative zone, right? Like even if they escape, they have nowhere to go. And it's like, that's actually a really good idea. But now you're capturing heroes and putting them in there, not going to work. So we learn about in this issue as well, the 50 states initiative where they're they're putting Avengers in different states to pol police the states, I guess you could say. Uh, but at the same time, uh, Punisher has broken into the Baxter building and is getting the plans for the negative zone so they can break in. Sue Storm is going to Atlantis to try and recruit Namor. And then we get to a point of... Um, Punisher basically gets kicked out of the Secret Avengers because he kills some villains who showed up to the meeting saying, you know, we'll we'll be willing to help you guys out. This is help, this is hurting us too, the registration act. And he just shoots them immediately. They're like, what the hell are you doing? And um, he's like, they're bad guys, Cap. They're killers. And then Cap's beating the crap out of him. And he says, fight, you coward. And Punisher says, not against you. And it's like, dang, that is great. Um he says, I wonder, uh, Patriot looks at Spider-Man says, I wonder why he did, wouldn't hit Cap. Spider-Man says, are you kidding me? Cap's probably the reason he went to Vietnam. Same guy, different war. Cap says, wrong. Frank Castle's insane. It's like, is he? Reading it now with all the information I know, that makes the story even better because I don't know which of these sides is right. I, I know the methods that are being used by the pro side are wrong. But the idea of of uh, you know heroes registering and being trained, I think that's a good idea. Um, and and we'll, again, we'll talk about that at the end. But then we get a, a discussion between Uatu and um, 
Doctor Strange, who is in the North Pole meditating, who says, you know, how long has it been since you've eaten? And he says, just a little water since the Civil War began. And he says, aren't you not tempted to simply end it? With your great power, you could stop this quarrel with a gentle a gesture or a whisper. And he says, that's exactly why I need to stay above this. Uh, there is no right or wrong in this debate. It's simply a matter of perspective. And it is not my place to influence the evolution of the superhuman role. And... um. He says, as a watcher, I am more than familiar with such dilemmas. But tell me, why are you fasting if you favor no side? What outcome are you meditating for? He says, whichever victory is best for all mankind, my friend, and spills the least amount of blood tonight. Like, he knows what's coming, which is, again, the end of this issue is them busting in to the, um, busting into the negative zone, and Iron Man's team's there, they're ready to fight, and he's like, ah, you know, how are we going to even the odds? And it turns out Tigra was um, a spy on the anti-registration side for the pro side. And they're like, that's fine. We knew it was. And he's like, what? How? And they're like, because we had a spy on our side. They're like, that's impossible. He's like, yep. Uh, he's like, Hulkling. And Hulkling has been uh, Hank Pym the entire time. And in doing so, he released all of the heroes in the negative zone. So now they have evened the odds. And we get a beautiful beautiful two-page splash of all of these heroes again expertly drawn uh and then we get now gentlemen now close your eyes gentlemen this might hurt and from cap that's the last panel now we get to issue seven which um again honestly my least favorite issue of all of it because i don't like the ending and we're, we're getting there we're getting so close so huge fight huge fight um everyone's fighting one another again we get some uh at this point cloak transports everybody good and bad back to new york through his cloak and so now they're all fighting in the middle of new york causing absolute mayhem but again there's this beautiful scene with spider-man where he is kicking multiple kicking and punching multiple people on his way to, to mr fantastic and mr fantastic can barely make out he goes amazing and and uh spider-man kicks him and says spectacular and it's like hell yes spidey he's just so good in this but then we just get fight after fight namor shows up thor and thunderbolt show up everyone's fighting but then we get the big fight between cap and thor uh um reed takes a bullet for sue and uh, from taskmaster sue destroys taskmaster hercules smashes thor to smithereens literally blows up his head and then they're just continuing to fight caps fighting iron man and gets stopped by first responders it looks like firemen emt workers who are like get the hell away from him and He's like, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying not to hurt you guys. And they're like, hurt us? You already have. Look around you and the entire city is burning. And Cap drops his shield and says, they're right. We're not fighting for the people anymore, Falcon. And he's crying. Look at us. We're just fighting. And he says, uh, they're like, what are you doing, Cap? They're like, we're beating them. We were winning. He says, everything except the argument. He takes his hat off. He says, they're not arresting Captain America. They're arresting Steve Rogers. And he gives up. He says, stand down, troops that's an order and that's it it's over uh punisher grabs cap's helmet or grab cap's little hat that's for another tale for another time and punisher war journal or yeah punisher war journal but um and then we start getting some of the the build-up for the next series is right you get the mighty avengers the avengers initiative and all these different states and it's all to the background of reed writing sue a letter begging her to come back 
which is uh, sweet in and of itself, but it's also, at least again, in my opinion, it's like, dude, you do this all the time. You're basically just trying to to, to do this again. Spider-Man goes into his black costume. The Secret Avengers are a thing now. We see Luke Cage and Doctor Strange and Spider-Woman. And then, um, let's see what else. Oh, but so here's where we're, and we're going to get to this. Tony Stark is now the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. He says, why not, Miss Sharp? As a man with close links to both the government and the superhuman community, I think it makes perfect sense. And uh, he says, there's a, a cool thing too in here. Um, well, he explains, he says, do you know why we called the prison number 42? He said it was because the, it was the 42nd idea of 100 ideas Reed, Hank, and I wrote down the night your son was killed. A hundred ideas for a safer world. We aren't even at number 50. Doesn't that sound exciting to you? He says, cleaning up S.H.I.E.L.D. is number 43. Believe me, ma'am, the superhero community just found the greatest friend they'll ever have. Do you really think I'd let anyone else guard my friend's secret identities? And she says, you're a good man, Tony Stark. You risked everything to get us to the place, to get us to this place. But I truly believe you've given people heroes we can believe in again. And he says, oh, the best is yet to come, sweetheart. That's a promise. And obviously this goes into more stories, but I want to touch on that. That's going to be what we're going to end this on is the overall impact of this story and, and sort of looking back at it. To me, at the time too, it felt abrupt. And, and part of that was because I wanted Cap to win. And I think most people did because we are all about freedom here in America, being able to do what we want, and uh, especially when it comes to our superheroes. And again, all the points that were raised point to the anti-registration people being right. But when you look back at this, what 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 let, let's look at the, the the frame of this tale so superheroes especially young superheroes are doing things completely unchecked they are uh causing mayhem they're in this case causing the death of a lot of people they're untrained they don't know how to handle themselves in some situations and you can say that about literally anyone look at spider-man look at what happened when he first became a hero he immediately became a a fighter in the ring and he did not save or did not stop someone which caused his uncle to die that right there is a perfect argument of why he should have been trained and uh, the same can be said for so many people but to have them give up their identities, well, that also makes sense. We would need to know who those people are so that they can be held accountable by somebody, right? So that if something goes wrong, they can be talked to, explained to, that sort of thing. But it is a very dangerous situation to be in to do that, to put your information on a database that can be hacked at any moment. And they go over this in, in here. Ultron, you've, they listed off like six different people in one of the panels of like who could hack this database. And that's true, 100% true. I mean, look what happens to Spider-Man. We get to see it happen in real time. And again, as I'm sure many of you know, reading comics, if you don't, well, we always talk about spoilers on these shows, but the Superhuman Registration Act ends up getting repealed eventually, years down the line in terms of our, our time, which was good. I'm glad that it stayed in for a while. There's a really long line of, after this came the initiative. So a lot of comics were bannered as the initiative, which was New Avengers, um, Avengers, all, all that sort of stuff. But, um, but, but you get to the end of this. And you've got Tony Stark specifically saying that, um, you know, who, he says, believe me, ma'am, the superhuman community just found the greatest friend they'll ever have. Do you really think I would let anyone else guard my friend's secret identities? 
um, uh, you, no, right? Like, why didn't you start with that, Tony? Why didn't you start with that? You are Tony Stark, one of the greatest minds in the world, along with Reed Richards and Hank Pym. You could have easily come up with a database that is on a cosmic cube type scale, something that cannot be hacked, that is hidden away, that nobody knows about except for you. And, and, and you know, again, I, I trust Tony in that regard to say he's he doesn't want his friend's identities out. He knows the value of a secret identity. Iron Man certainly does from his past. Um, if I was, you know, trying to toy with registering, that alone would make me want to register, at least think about registering to know that my identity is being guarded because I want to be held accountable. I would always want to be held accountable. I mean, there are instances I I would argue, again, you've got X-Force, the Punisher, these groups and people who do things that are not things that a government would want to be associated with or are the really hard decisions that need to be made. And it's that same argument again of, oh, you know, the Punisher kills somebody, but the alternative, and, and, and he may explain it in here too. He says, okay, well, I kill this person. They're never going to kill again. You capture this person. They are going to break out. They always do. And, you know, we know that it's comics. They always break out and then they will kill again. So then technically all of those deaths are on your hands. I believe that is a actually something that Tony explains to Peter in this Road to Civil War piece in the beginning. But why didn't Tony open with this? Because if he'd started with all of that, if he'd have assured the community that he was keeping the secrets, that he would be the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., there probably wouldn't have been a fight. I think even Cap would have been interested in it, at least in listening to it. There would have definitely been some lively conversations, but it's like, okay, so it took you giant fights, the death of Goliath, the unmasking of Spider-Man to truly get people to 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 uh, get to this point. All of that was a waste. All of that could have been avoided, I think, I personally think, after reading this. But that's the way that it goes. And uh, in terms of it tying to... Uh, the movie, Captain America Civil War, it's tough to say which one I like better. I, I would say overall, I probably like the movie better. The story is amazing. And again, it's a 10 out of 10 in my eyes, even, you know, at worst a 9 out of 10. But um, again, it felt abrupt at the end, whereas Captain America Civil War leaves some some interesting things going forward and the battle is a little more personal. But uh, they pull so much. The, the battle, the scene battle from uh, the airport, that's almost exactly like the ones in the comics. All the other ones I explained beforehand, getting to see Black Panther and Spider-Man was great, um, just like in the comics. A little different, obviously, but I like that there's a difference because then you have two separate pieces of art that you can enjoy for their own merits. So um, so yeah, that that is Civil War, and that is... Um, that is it in a, I guess, an hour and 10 minute nutshell, but uh, I really hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. And, uh, hopefully it's something that you've read before. And if not, uh, it, even if it was something you weren't interested in reading and it was just something you're listening to me tell, hopefully this was a good telling of it too. Uh, I, I would, again, I would highly recommend reading it. I would recommend reading all of the tie-ins as well. I actually downloaded a bunch that I was reading last night too. Um, just a couple for those of you who are maybe looking for some extra credit, some extra reading. Uh, again, you've got the Amazing Spider-Man uh, line, which starts with issue 532. Fantastic Four, which starts with issue 538. 
And then there's Civil War Young Avengers and Runaways, a four-part one. That's great. Civil War X-Men, again, four parts. That one's great. Uh, But then there's some really good and interesting one-shots. You've got the Iron Man, Captain America, Civil War, Casualties of War. That one is a classic, uh, you know, cash grab, but it's still nice to see. It's kind of flashbacks of Captain and Tony's past. Um, Civil War Choosing Sides, that's actually one of my faves. It is a, again, a one-shot, but it follows Venom, um, what is it? It's Venom, uh, Iron Fist, Ant-Man, U.S. Agent, Howard the Duck, all of them trying to decide if they should register. They're all different stories by different people, and they're all really fun. There's, uh, Civil War The Return, which is the return of, of, uh, um, Captain Marvel, and I, I feel like in one of these, though, there's something about um, the century as well. Maybe that's in New Avengers. There's a, I believe it's New Avengers 20 or 22 is when it starts. It may be 21, um, but that one's also really good. Each issue is drawn by a different artist, and they follow one of the New Avengers. So there's an issue about the century. There's an issue about um, Spider-Woman. And then there is uh, uh, Winter Soldier, Winter Kills. That one is good. And uh, two of the other bigger ones, too, by Brian Bendis, is uh, Civil War The Initiative and Civil War The Confession. Civil War The Confession's a big one. That's after uh, Cap dies. And it's Tony essentially confessing to Cap, I believe, and I haven't read it in a while, but I'm pretty sure it's him confessing that he was right. And, uh, but it's just him talking to his, his, uh, his body, his coffin. So, um a great sort of epilogue to this story but that that is civil war so uh now we are going to go over what next month's comic book club is going to be about we had uh we talked about a little bit before i was letting you guys know that um i have a lot of stories in the backlog right now to read that i'm going to be doing for this which is great for everyone right that i'm going to be able to have one once a month but uh, things got even crazier now because they just released a bunch of uh, stories about different black characters in uh, Marvel Universe that were all free. So, and they still are as of this recording. So jump on Marvel's app or Comixology, which uh, a shout out to Comixology as well. They are not sponsoring me, but they should. Uh, they should because I just last night started subscribing to Comixology Unlimited. Not only are you getting free stories just like for Marvel Unlimited uh, with Marvel, but you're also going to get DC, Image, Dark Horse, Boom, uh, any anything you can imagine. IDW, uh, there's so much. I was checking it out last night, and it's through Amazon. So if you have an Amazon account, you can link it. It's $5.99 a month. It is $6. And the library is insane. Not only that, but becoming an unlimited subscriber, you get... 10 to it's like 10 to 20 percent off of graphic novels and comics on the store and the reason i say that is because marvel just transitioned their digital comic shop to comiXology fully so if you were typically going on marvel.com to purchase your your stories maybe you are an unlimited subscriber or unlimited plus and you get 10 percent off None of that is through Marvel anymore. It is all through Comixology, so it'll direct you there. So not only are those sales that I was talking about where I got like this Civil War on uh, digital for like $3, not only are you going to get that now, but you'll get an extra 10 to 15 or 20% off of those stories. So like last night, I bought three more. I bought... Uh, and, and so I bought New Avengers by Brian Michael Bendis, the complete collection number one, uh, which is like 500 pages for five bucks. 
Uh, and then I bought all the entire Hawkeye series by Matt Fraction, the one that's being made into the uh, show. I had some of the comics back in the day, but it's the entire series, issues 1 through 22, and an annual for 5 bucks. And then I also got the Infinity Gauntlet storyline, which I already have in physical copy, but I wanted a digital for $3. Um, unbelievable prices, so it's great. But not only that, you're getting deals again on DC Comics, so it's not just Marvel. We can start expanding our, our horizons. But with that said, there are a ton of free stories on Marvel right now that you can get uh, with powerful black voices, including Shuri, Black Panther, Long Live the King, Mosaic, Killmonger, Black Panther and the Crew, Black Panther and the World of Wakanda, uh, Adam, Legend of the Blue Marvel. And along with that, um, I had planned to make July's comic book club uh, about Secret Wars. It's a great series, and I've been dying to read it. But there are other stories that we need to be focusing on more right now, um, and especially highlighting those really amazing black voices that are out there. Um, and obviously, we want to highlight all the great voices, but right now, I think it's really important to call out these great ones, especially when it comes to July. The theme for July is always going to be the 4th of July, the um, the founding of America. And right now in this country, we're dealing with a lot of issues with that, of realizing that there are a lot of problematic stories regarding the founding of America, that um, it, there's, a, there's a dark underbelly that a lot of people do not want to acknowledge, that they try to take out of the history books, um, that need to be spread. And so what better way to do that than to highlight the 4th of July, to highlight July itself, the founding of America, with truth. So that is what our book is going to be. And these issues are on uh, Marvel Unlimited. They are also free on the Marvel app if you want to get them to own. Uh, it is called Truth, Red, White, and Black. And it is the story of the first Captain America, who in fact was a black super soldier. And it is a story I read a long time ago. I do not remember much about it, so I am really excited. I was so happy to see that this was one of the ones they were giving away. It's not a graphic novel in uh, the Marvel app. It's just, it's seven issues. So again, it's Truth, Red, White, and Black, issues one through seven. And it's actually, it's the story, I, I, I don't remember his name, but he is like the grandfather of Patriot, who was in Civil War, who is like the kid version of Captain America in the Young Avengers. So it's a really good story. It's Again, you know, they say Captain America was the first, the first super soldier, the first Captain America. That's not true. It was actually a black superhero. So I'm really excited to dive into this, to read this, and to honor this story, especially during the month where we are honoring America, because we need to remember uh, a lot of the people who built America, because we always say, or people always say, oh, it's the founding fathers. No, no, it wasn't. It was a large community of African Americans who all over this country created and built things. And that's not to take away from the the white people who also helped build this country and the Asian Americans and all of the other cultures. But uh, this is one group of people that has, uh, as we've been talking about, fallen from the wayside quite a bit. So in honor of Black Lives Matter, because they always will matter, we will be talking again about truth, Red, White, and Black, issues 1 through 7. That'll be coming out at the end of July. So, for Comics and Cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein. Thanks so much for listening.